Researchers at Australia National University say they might be able to discover which people are carrying the coronavirus by examining fecal matter. Wait, just how uncomfortable are those nose swabs that they've been using? (laughs) (laughs) Forest rangers in Iceland are recommending people hug a tree uh, to cope with social distancing. But be warned, the tree may try to take it a little bit too far. In a tweet earlier today, President Trump referred to governors who are setting their own timetable when to ease coronavirus restrictions as mutineers, adding, you know, the three mutineers, the delicious candy, and believe me, I'm just the chubby kid who gets picked last for a kickball who's going to eat you all, believe me. Any excuse to do a Trump impression, right, Christian? Any excuse. The popularity of phone calls is skyrocketing. You know, because it's, it's nice to stay in touch with loved ones while you silently browse Instagram. Seed companies around the country have stopped taking new orders as millions of Americans have begun attempting to grow their own food, which explains why we saw President Trump burying bags of Taco Bell and KFC in the Rose Garden. <laughs> with restaurants closed due to coronavirus, sty- starving robot. Hold on, let me start again. With Not restaurants robots. closed... With restaurants closed, starving rodents have resorted to cannibalism. So, when amusement parks reopen, don't be surprised if Minnie Mouse looks a little guilty. And finally, former President Barack Obama has endorsed Joe Biden. Some people feel that he ought to have done so much sooner, while Obama was actually hoping to wait a little longer. Probably somewhere around November 4th. The Trump Report starts now! I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Welcome to the Trump Report. I am Christian Blatt, uh, here from the bunker, as uh, so often, joined by some of the uh, the A-list Trump reporters. Why, I don't know exactly how we're positioned on the screen, but the way I'm looking at it right there, and if it's not where she is, then it'll be funny. Uh, Tamara Brown. <laughs> Hey there. Look, can you see what this says? Does it say SoCal distancing? SoCal distancing 2020. I love it. it. Uh, And uh, a little bit of an anti-social distancer, but we love him anyway. Scott Moore. (laughs) That is true, but I I need that sweatshirt, Tamara. That's pretty cool. You have to let me know where you got it from. Dynasty typewriter. It's a theater that, in in order, they're a comedy theater, and in order to, you know, make a little cash, they've got some pretty cool merch up there. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Love it. And uh, someone we haven't seen in a while. In fact, the last time I talked to her, I think she said, uh, I can only do the show again if it's the end of the world. Well, look what happened. Brooke is <laughs> back here on the Trump exactly. Report. Exactly. There you go, starting a pandemic, Christian. Well, you know, we needed to get you back on. Brooke, uh, it, it's great to see you. Since you haven't been on for a little while, uh, we just, we'll start really quickly. How are you handling uh, the, the pandemic, the quarantine? Uh, obviously, uh, as we referenced, you have an uh, adorable uh, daughter there with you how how is she handling and how are you handling it we are doing pretty good actually she's a she's she's a really a homebody we're the exact opposite i like to be out and about she likes to be here so isabel is living her best life right now being at home and not having to go to school and uh with the work that i do it's all work from home anyway so we're okay thankfully and we're corona free so far well yeah obviously that's the uh, that's the important part and uh yeah we're uh, yeah we're all we're all doing the best we can uh yeah. we have uh, some uh very you know scott's background of course looks the best because he's in the library 
Tamara, oh, you, I see the kitchen and it just makes me hungry. And uh, obviously- you know, we, have, we have the option on Zoom. We can make any background we want. Right. Yeah, well, every time I try that, it, 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 it like bleeds over like bad green screen. But you know what? Maybe, mm -hmm. we'll, maybe we'll design one for all of us. Maybe we'll, mm -hmm. maybe we'll put ourselves into- I think we should put all of us in your bunker. Just maybe, give us a screenshot be, yeah, of we'll your give, background. I'll give you all the same picture. With all those hidden FBI secret files behind you. Yeah, exactly. You. Uh, you're, you're shredding. <laughs> so, uh, as as has really been the case for three years, it's always uh, you know it's a little difficult to figure out where to start. But let's start uh, chronologically. I think last week was the first week we uh, moved the show back to Tuesdays, and uh, Wednesday uh, Bernie Sanders uh, dropped out of the race. Which uh, there's a there's a lot to pack into that. I I feel like there's probably you know maybe a few thousand people in Wisconsin were like. Yeah, you couldn't have done that yesterday before I waited in that line and, you know, got coughed on while I was waiting in line three hours to vote. Thanks, Bernie. But obviously the, uh, you know, look, it was, uh, the, the math wasn't there, depending on what he had to say, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But it just seems like a weird time to be running an opposition campaign. I mean, unless you're running against the president, I guess. And I, I, I don't know. Uh, what, uh, what do you think, uh, Tamara, about uh, Bernie getting out uh, when he did? I think it was absolutely appropriate. I mean, what, what would we, all, what would any of us expected to happen? There was going to be some massive turnaround. Like I think we talked about last week because we did talk about the the Biden accusations. It's like if if something like that, you know, too much is going on right now, that something like that, that should be bigger headline news is just not, it's just proof that now there's nothing there, 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 there's nothing, there's no other way that the campaign would have turned around. So, um, you know, if, if not now, then only sooner would have been a better option. Uh, this is Scott, coming from a Bernie supporter. By the right. Way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I look a couple weeks ago, you made the point that uh, Bernie had the advantage of actually doing stuff these last couple of weeks because he was in, in the Senate, whereas, you know, Biden was trying to figure out how to make Zoom work, you know, and having, you know, awkward interviews for uh, television. Uh, but <clears throat> Scott, uh, what are your thoughts on on Bernie getting out, but also when he's done it now that he did it last week? Well, you know what, he actually, when you look back since the year 2000, he actually uh, got out on the earlier end compared to some other candidates. Uh, it goes back to 2000 and 2004 when he saw, um, you know, candidates from the same, from the primary exit the race and you're left with, with one candidate. Because um, you saw that in 2008, Hillary Clinton went right up basically to the convention in June and same thing with, with Bernie last time around. And so like Tam was saying, he saw the writing on the wall. Um, could he have done it before the Wisconsin primary when they said it was happening? Maybe, but um, I think after Wisconsin, when he saw that he wasn't going to win there, which he did four years ago, he really realized, you know, the writing is permanently written in permanent ink on the wall now, and he really had to step back. So considering, you know, in the past, um, he actually has exited on, on the earlier end um, during a primary race uh, than what we've seen uh, in the past 20 years. Yeah, I mean, look, there is still voting to be done, whether it be by mail or a little bit delayed. Uh, Brooke, what did you think about uh, Bernie getting out last week and, you know, sort of hanging in there for the, the last few weeks leading up until uh, last week, until basically the, the voting was done in Wisconsin? Mm -hmm. I'd say as a moderate candidate, my moderate Democrat myself, <laughs> not a candidate yet. I thought uh, you were announcing something here. I was very <laughs> excited. But. This was the right thing to do for him. I think that the Democratic Party saw the need um, at, 
from what I hear, Obama's behest for him to um, to leave the race because we needed at this point to focus on who we know is probably most apt to potentially beat Trump. So, um, and I know a lot of Wisconsinites. I don't know if that's what you call them, Wisconsinites. Uh, were cheeseheads, but were Wisconsinites probably, works too. Yeah, we're probably upset that he didn't do so earlier. But I think I'm, I'm kind of glad to see the numbers that came out in support of Sanders, so that now Biden has an understanding of of the the amount of people, especially young people, obviously, since that's most of Sanders' backing, uh, who he needs to target and what he needs to do. And the sooner he got out, the sooner they could get together and go ahead and and reach some type of consensus on how they're going the democratic party is going to present its case and still hold on to those Sanders voters. So it was, it was all strategy, I believe. Yes. Uh, I, I, I appreciate you raising your head and Tamara. Yes. Miss Brown. Thank you. Um, so I was participating in a conversation thread about, you know, people always talk about voter suppression uh, amongst uh, who Biden is who the DNC wanted as their candidate. Okay. So, uh, going going off of a thread on that topic, um, there, I think the whole Bernie campaign was disappointed at the lack of young young voter young voter turnout, um, and then there was talk of some you know voter suppression only in like certain college towns and urban areas. There were fewer polling stations apparently than than other areas. But um, do we think? I mean. I'm I'm wondering if any of us think that there is any sort of hand by the D- DNC in the fact that Bernie didn't perform as well in the polls as I think early on his campaign thought he would have. So you're talking uh, prior to Wisconsin. You're just talking more in general. You're mm-hmm. surprised. In uh, general. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the, what the DNC proper did in terms of, you know, putting money towards... Biden. I mean, we really didn't see any kind of push for Biden until it, it was like South Carolina was the middle of February. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, we were talking in at the end of January that it was like, oh, I guess we're going to have to roll up old Uncle Joe and, you know, plug him back in for uh, for, you know, a few more years and see what happens. But uh, yeah, I think that especially once South Carolina happened. I think that they were able to justify to themselves, like, look, this just isn't going to happen. You know, certain kinds of voters were going to vote for Bernie. And, you know, look, he, he was always going to do very well. Biden was in the African-American vote. And that's what they saw. And I don't know, I, I mean, that must be part of the, the key to their strategy. But uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's my thoughts. Uh, Brooke, what do you think to uh, Tamara's question about, you know, acts by the DNC? Did they actively work against Bernie from, from at least from the start of 2020? Or do you think that's something that might have happened a little bit more recently? I mean, more so recently, but I think she has a very good point. I mean, we've seen this in the past, unfortunately. Um, and this happens in like all kinds of types of bureaucratic situations. Um, they get their mindset on a specific candidate and they do everything they can, whether it's passively underhandedly um, behind the scenes to, to get that candidate to the forefront. So I, I agree with her and in a lot of sense, I mean, uh, that's not really the way a democracy is supposed to run, but they're their own private organization. And um, that's just kind of the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. So yeah, I totally see that and believe that that's probably what was happening. Yeah. Scott, do you feel like, if that were the case, whenever maybe they ramped it up, do you feel like 
this was kind of what they had to do if they were going to have any chance. Do you feel that they just were not convinced that Bernie would perform well against President Trump in November? Well, I, I take from Brooks point, they are a, a private entity. And, you know, going back in, in the past, uh, voters never even went out to the polls for a primary. It was it was decided at the party convention that that was the whole point of party conventions in the past was to select your candidate that was then going to run in the general in the fall. Um, that said, I, I do think they were completely scared of Bernie being the nominee, and they probably did everything at least that they could to, I think, slow that down. I think that's when you saw the calls from what well, you heard from Barack Obama calling after South Carolina primary and telling you know the other moderate candidates to try to get out. You, you know, there was a big push for Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg um, to get out to kind of consolidate that moderate vote. Um, so I do believe they were very concerned about having Bernie in the general. But on the flip side, even beyond, you know, even saying if they close certain polls in, in college towns and everything else, when you look at the difference in the voters going into, like, let's say, Michigan, for instance, you see the votes very much change for, for what Bernie had in 2016 to what he got in 2020. And that has nothing to do with the DNC um, trying to withhold votes. You can see people, especially... Um, uh, working college, uh, I'm sorry, whites uh, without college degrees that were very big Bernie supporters in 2016 against Hillary in Michigan, went back over to Joe Biden. So, you know, you can see that there was a difference in the way the candidates were looked at. And it's very interesting when you can see what Bernie got in 2016 in some of the same places to what he got in 2020. And that has nothing to do with the DNC. He just was not able to keep those numbers up and he wasn't able to grow his base, much like we talk about Donald Trump. And much, you know, going back to 2016, the RNC definitely did not want Donald Trump as their nominee either. And they tried to do everything they could for a time to get him out as well. So yes, they do try to stop that. But you can also see clearly the voting was very different for uh, Bernie this time around than it was in 2016 in some of those same states. So, so Scott, what you're saying to. is that Democrats are better at rigging their primaries than Republicans are? Is that what you said? <laughs> Strategic. <laughs> Strategery. Uh, <laughs> yeah, look, I think that that was uh, that was clearly a concern that uh, Bernie was underperforming from four years ago. And, you know, look, the the sort of the joke was like, well, yep, the DNC screwed Bernie again. They convinced you know millions of people to not vote for him. But I, I do think that there there look, there were those concerns. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I think that even the results in Wisconsin, which we'll talk about more about Wisconsin in a moment, but I did want to bring our friend Ryan in, who's back in Mission Control. And uh, Ryan, I know that uh, you talked on this show, uh, you're very passionately in favor of Bernie Sanders. And what I can say about Bernie Sanders is, I thought he still had a chance because we, with open arms as a country, are embracing socialism right now. <laughs> we we all want those $1,200 checks. We'd like them to keep coming. I actually thought like, could this be something that helped Bernie? Uh, and uh, so I don't know. I didn't think it was crazy for him to stick around. I still thought that the numbers didn't really add up. But uh, give us your thoughts on this as a as a younger voter. This uh, you you have or have not voted in a presidential election. I have. To call I have. Yeah, I have. you voted it once, right? Yes. Yeah. Just so once. this this is your second one, and uh, you were you were looking forward to voting for Bernie, probably, or yes, actually, I had thinking? an absentee ballot filled out, but uh, I'm from Pennsylvania, and they I still am registered there. And they uh, they pushed they delayed their election actually till till May May fifteenth. Um, so yeah, I, and so I haven't been able to cast that yet. 
Um, so you're going to uh, write in Kylo Ren? Is that probably <laughs> what's going to happen? That's exactly yeah. right. And, okay, and and then Ray Skywalker. He's a str- I mean, he's uh, a strong leader, so I'm not gonna I'm not so gonna fault you. So I mean, like, anyway, go ahead. questions on just him uh, dropping out or him 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 endorsing? Yeah, just about the timing and sort of you know, do you feel? like he was mistreated by the Democratic Party establishment. Oh, okay. I think, you know, I I think he's so that he, Bernie Sanders is probably responsible for me getting into politics in the first place. Like I I, I grew up in Delaware. I, my parents went to school with Joe Biden's kids. Like I've met him a bunch of times. Um and but Bernie Sanders was the person who got me into politics. He just I think he invigorated like my entire generation. Uh, and I, you know, I, I didn't think he was going to win after Super Tuesday. I thought like that was kind of the breaking point. And I don't think he had by any means a perfect campaign whatsoever. Like in 2016, I thought he was way too, he, he was way too polite. Um, and that I think really hurt him and especially with debates. I think he was a little better this time around, but, uh, there was just so many candidates and I, I'm, you know, you're speaking about Obama who's officially endorsing Biden, but you know, I think behind the curtain, uh, there, it's no secret he was probably making a few phone calls. Um, but I, I, I do think it was respectful that he waited this long, though, to officially endorse him because he, I think this election would have been over months ago if he put in his endorsement. Um, but I mean, yeah, he—I thought Bernie Sanders was the—he's the best of us. He's, he got me into politics. He paved the way for what's now this big like oh yeah medicare for all and four years ago that was radical idea and a 15 dollar minimum wage as well as uh like creating a system of small donations for 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 candidates to run elections on and by no means perfect but all accounts he was the best of us and he was amazing hey ryan i I don't know how old you are but do you consider yourself millennial or gen z gen z yeah, Thank those you. Are, those those millennials are much too old for. It, it uh, is my and... biggest. It is my biggest pet peeve when people refer to either teenagers or people in their early twenties as millennials. It drives me through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> They're not millennials. <laughs> I'm Gen Z for uh, sure. Well, Ryan, one other final point because I, I did see you tweet about this. Uh, how disappointed were you that Elizabeth Warren didn't endorse Bernie? <laughs> Do you think that that could have helped? Incredibly disappointed. I think she ruined her political career uh, a month ago by not doing that. I think um, you know she's she's doing TikToks on SNL during a pandemic and an election, and she hasn't won a state. And she feels the need to tweet out. Oh my God, Bernie Sanders, one of the best people ever. It's like, then you should have endorsed him because he's the one who who aligned in all of your beliefs more than any other candidate. And if it was some kind of petty, you know, thing that happened. You did call her a liar on national TV, you know, and we heard the audio. She wasn't very happy about that. You know, she was not very happy about that. Uh, I just think if you actually put your policies first, if, if you run a platform saying that, then you have to put that stuff aside and, you're, it's she can do whatever she wants, but for me as a supporter of Elizabeth Warren, that was the writing was just on the wall there, and that that was kind of all I needed to know. And I don't know if I can really ever, uh, not believe anything she says, but I think I don't know if I could ever really support her again, just because I, I, I and she she also did it, got a super PAC <laughs> the week she accused bernie of having a super PAC, which he's never done so i just i don't know i think she kind of blew it and i was just a little salt in the wound that day sure 
Uh, Tamara, you looked like you were about to say something. I, I just, uh, it's always confused me. I really, because I, I also, you know, support Elizabeth Warren. I was really torn on who I wanted more, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie. Um, currently reading her book and her, she's just so brilliant as far as economics. One of her books I'm reading right now. But anyway, the fact that she didn't endorse Bernie, I just, I still don't understand why. I don't, I, I, it doesn't make any sense. I just don't I mean, know why. I mean, just, the, it could be as simple as she didn't think he was going to win and she wanted something from Biden. You know, it could be that simple and we'll see, you know, history will tell. I mean, people that are suggesting that she might be Biden's VP, I'm just like, that is so, that's insanity. Like that would never No, happen. I mean, I, I, I look at, uh, he's he's already told us it'll be a woman. I, I feel like it would be a governor, but we'll, we'll be able to talk about that in the week's head. I did want to go back to the fact that we we had this Wisconsin election uh, last Tuesday, this primary, uh, and, you know, the uh, Democrats tried to move it and Republicans were focused on making sure that it happened because they were really concerned about this, this state Supreme Court seat. And uh, Scott, what do you think about the way that it all played out? Because uh, Republicans felt like moving the election, moving it to vote by mail was going to hurt their chances. Uh, and they held it, you know, look in the middle of a pandemic, there were these photos of people with masks and gloves on and, you know, social distancing people. I wasn't, I, I wasn't joking earlier. It was like, people said they waited like three hours or more because they had less polling places open. So, uh, I wanted to start with Scott on this. What do you think about the way that it played out? You know, that Republicans really wanted to keep that seat because we'll talk about the ramifications of it in a moment. They wanted to, to, to keep that Republican. So what do you think about, uh, about the way that this election turned out? Well, I think, you know, surprisingly, it, it turned out actually even uh, better than I thought it would when we get into the Wisconsin um, state Supreme Court election. Yeah, and we're um, talking about the, the liberal uh, Jill Karofsky is the one who won. That's the one that they, that they were- incumbent. Yeah, yeah, who, yeah, beat the incumbent, beat the incumbent. And they needed to hold on. They really wanted to hold on to that seat because of, of you know, they, I guess it's a matter of getting thousands of people kicked off the voter rolls. And if if the incumbent stayed, that would definitely happen. That that's that's the 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 most important issue associated with it, right, Scott? Right. I mean, it was basically well that, and just in general, to be able to to move forward what they wanted to do because they have a Democratic governor right now and a Republican led legislature, so. It, 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 even though the, the state Supreme Court is not supposed to be like a tiebreaker in that, they felt having a state Supreme Court with the majority Republican or conservative judges would help be able to get whatever priorities they wanted through, whether it's voting and any other number of conservative issues. And um, it was shameful that it was such a naked attempt to be able to um, have this vote continue on, even after the Democratic governor had said, let's postpone it. And look, I disagreed with Governor DeWine in Ohio when he did the same thing, when he wanted to, to postpone it, because his uh, Ohio State Supreme Court had said, no, you need to keep it going. And this was back in um, March and thought, you know, this is not a good thing to do because he went around behind them and then had their, his health director um, say that they can't vote. Um, so it, it's it's very political on both sides, and it's not really a good look for anybody. But I, I think that this brazen, naked attempt to make people go out and vote. And look, you can look at the numbers. They were completely, completely affected by this pandemic. And the numbers definitely did not represent um, what they were hoping it would. And I, I actually think it backfired them, backfired on them spectacularly too, because a lot of their older voters that might've voted Republican were too concerned to be able to go in and vote. 
So, uh, Scott, sounds like some friends of yours are showing up. <laughs> that's me. That's here. Oh, okay. well, that, you know what? That makes more sense. Uh, Brooke, I wanted to get your thoughts sort of, you know, we were, we were talking about you know, how much Republicans wanted that election to be held in person mm -hmm. last week. And it was because of that seat. Uh, the fact that it, uh, you know, m very unexpectedly, I don't think anybody expected sort of the, the numbers in favor of the uh, the, the liberal Supreme Court Justice, uh, Jill Karofsky. And so uh, just give me your thoughts on on how it ended up playing out. It, you know, yeah, maybe, listen, they, the worst case scenario for the Republicans. Well, first of all, both sides really fought. Republicans fought, obviously, to keep the election going and the Democrats on the other end. I mean, Democrats to the point where Tom Perez at one point was saying before the votes were counted, hey, this is voter suppression at its worst. We need to already file cases. Um, same with Ben Wickler. They were both saying we are going to, to file lawsuits before they got the good results themselves. Um, so they were both really going head to head. And of course, we saw an outcome that no one expected. I think what Scott said is totally true. I think the, the older um, voters didn't go out. I also think that uh, the Democratic voters really took advantage of the absentee ballot system. We saw like a ton of those, a ton more of those go in. I think Karofsky took like two or three, switched two or three uh, districts, which is amazing. But that just goes to show that A, if the Republicans thought that they were going to take away the Democratic vote by doing this in the middle of a pandemic, it sounds to me like Democrats are locked and loaded now in that state. So that's something, to, there's something to be said. I think Bernie got 53% Biden, or I'm sorry, the other way, Biden got 53 and Bernie got about 38% of the vote. So Trump should really be concerned. I think he tweeted like three or four times during the day on the day of the election, right beforehand, get out there at his support of Daniel Kelly. And, and that fell through. So I think now Trump's kind of shaking in his boots and he's not Texan, but shaking in his whatever he wears, loafers. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Orthopedic loafers. <laughs> with, with, with lifts in them. With diabetic. With the best lifts. Yeah, I think so that... This is, uh, this is like something that we all need to note for the November elections. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, it, it definitely speaks to, uh, you know, an electorate that felt energized. And yeah, look, there were definitely people who stayed away. So that sort of brings uh, to the this idea, and we touched on it a little bit last week, of, look, they've got seven months now to figure out what they're going to do about Election Day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we can talk about some of the cases that people make against it. But, uh, Tamara, do you think that in a state like California, do you think that we'll be voting in person on November uh, 3rd? I hope I got the date right. Uh, but you know, on election day. Uh, do you think we'll be voting in person or, or, you know, there's, I think three states already do exclusively vote by mail. I think Washington's one of them. Do you think that uh, that might become more commonplace? I mean, seven months seems like a lot of time to get that into place, Tamara. Yeah, I think, um, you know, remember during our California's primary, I was raving about our futuristic voting system and how cool it was. I think if you want to vote in person in California, you you will be able to, but it seems like more and more people prefer not to, prefer mail-in ballots and prefer, um, well, yeah, prefer mail-in ballots. So um, what I'm concerned about is 
whatever's happening right now, I don't fully, uh, the extent of we're hearing that Trump is trying to um, not provide uh, stimulus money to the post office so that the post office might uh, be struggling and that could affect um, mail-in ballots come November nationally. Um, I, I, I think that's a concern, but um, I think California leads the way as far as um, more efficient, more efficient voting, whether that's in person, wh whichever means you prefer to vote. Um, I think California leads the way with, with being able to make it the most efficient, the most all encompassing than any other state based on what I saw in our, in our primary. Uh, Scott, if uh, we could pretend for a moment that you're not wearing a bright blue shirt, if you could look at this from a non-partisan <laughs> viewpoint, what are the most credible arguments against exclusively voting by mail? Ooh, you know, that, that's, uh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I well, think yeah, I mean, the, they, they, the, they don't have to be the ones you believe in, but the ones you know, that you hear used the most. I, it, just about the, the, the fraud. And I, I could see it's like someone else fills out your you know, your votes and mails it in. There's no way of knowing if that's but actually Biden that has voted. people walking up and down streets, <laughs> just stealing ballots and filling them right. out for him. Yeah. Well. Right. That's what I'm saying. I think that that is like the biggest argument is the fact that it doesn't have to be you. Um, you know, you could just give up your, your mail in ballot and have someone else fill it out and turn it in. Um, uh, but I, I do have to say, I think it, it, it's a challenge. It was only seven months. It really is a challenge, especially for some of these States to be maybe we uh maybe we uh click off scott's video for uh for a couple we're gonna minutes. click off scott's video for a hot sec yeah we're gonna we're gonna switch scott to audio because uh you, you were in the middle of a good point and uh we, we lost you there so uh yeah so uh let's let's see uh if scott can finish his point just uh audio only although we do enjoy getting to see you we'll just we'll just listen <laughs> no i was just saying you know it, it is it is um it is a challenge to get the states to be up and running because some states still only have uh absentee mail-in ballots for excuses only you know like it's either you're you're working whatever the excuse is you have to go extra above and beyond to be able to get those ballots so it's uh, it's it's very difficult to get a state's apparatus up and running, as we know, with a government. And California would be even more challenging if you were trying to make it all mail and ballot, because we have something like 20 million voters. And you see how long it takes just to be able to count the votes in a primary election alone. Uh, imagine trying to send all those out and get all those back and be able to get a, a result in a timely manner would be very difficult, although we know pretty much the direction that the state goes in, especially in the general it's still a very big challenge for states, and especially when you have 50 different potential setups on how you would do mail-in ballots and, and everything else. It is quite uh, an undertaking, and it's something that should have started months ago already. So uh, we're already behind the curve. But that's something that states want to do. Right. Yeah. No, I think that uh, it, it, it certainly makes sense. I mean, just imagine the the coverage of an election where they had to wait two weeks to count all the votes. I mean, this this Wisconsin, it basically took I guess it took six full days for them to get the results in because of the, you know, they had to let the the postmarks, you know, uh, whatever they were postmarked on the day and then they were able to come in. Uh, Brooke, what are your thoughts on uh, the, the future future of voting? Do you think that uh, it, it, there will have to be, I don't know, just 
basically in-person voting with lots of uh, uh, hand wipes for every voter? Or what do you think that they might uh, might be the most likely scenario across the country? Well, I've advocated for being able to vote with the click of your phone. Of course, we know that there are hackers out there that could could screw everything up for us. I think we'd get a lot more younger voters if they were able to do it through an app. But that's a whole other story. Back to the, the male. less older. Yeah, the, this this is true, too. Although, you know, a lot of our of those boomers, they sure do know how to use Facebook. So uh, <laughs> that's true. Uh, they're on it constantly, yeah. all day. I know. <laughs> so uh, you know, just give them a little Facebook option. I'm, I'm sure they'll be right on it. But uh, in terms of the mail-in ballots, you know, you mentioned the postmark uh, conundrum that I think Wisconsin faced. I think the rule was it had to be postmarked before the day or on the day of the election, and I think hundreds of thousands of of uh, ballots were, were put in and they either, I don't know if they handed them somehow, they weren't postmarked at all. They, yeah, they there were some, the there were some with no postmark was part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. They, that, they yeah. couldn't read the postmark. Of course they weren't postmarked in time. So those are all of the small little issues that, that would be, that one would face that would just slow down the process. And I just think that we're too, way too far ahead in, in our times of technology to ha- having, have it, to have to deal with something like that, especially like you said, opening up each individual ballot and, and closing it. So I'm hoping that we move past that. But like I said, unfortunately, with technology and people's ability to hack systems or manipulate those systems, that's also going to be problematic. So I think being there in person, I think Wisconsin also had our most city or states have a law in order to get your mail-in ballot, you also have to beforehand turn in your ID to show that you can vote. I don't know if that was one that was put into place or one that was being considered, but um, that would also, you know, voter fraud, like Scott said, would be an issue as well. So I think good old walking to the polls is what's going to continue to work for us. And there's something to be said about the tradition and, and value in that of doing that, especially like first time voters being able to walk themselves to the polls and put in their vote. Yeah, and, and who wants to take a selfie of them putting an envelope in a mailbox? We all need those little stickers. The little I voted state. stickers. Yeah, we need our selfie. I voted stickers. Although I know in, in Washington, because my sister lives there, they actually, it's on the mail-in ballot. So they're going to oh, yeah. trust that you actually vote and you don't just put on the sticker to show off. Uh, we only have a few minutes, and I do want to talk about the, uh, I, I, I don't know exactly how to characterize these uh, daily Trump briefings, but the one yesterday uh, bordered on, uh, I, I guess it was a bit of a circus-like atmosphere. There was a there was a, some propaganda uh, propaganda ing. <laughs> uh, sorry, if I see that there's a there's an image now that uh, that we're seeing, which is uh, you know he showed a video. He showed a video of like because he didn't like and look as as much as we love Dr. Fauci, I don't know how helpful it is for him to say in an interview. You know, I wish people had listened to me and done this earlier. I mean, he can certainly say that after the fact. Uh, So that obviously was the impetus to one, President Trump retweeting something that someone uh, included a hashtag fire Fauci. And then also needing to show this video that shows, look what the rest of the media was saying, you know, Uh, I, I think that they did leave out him calling it a hoax. But so they made people sit through this video. He was asked some uh, very tough questions questions a a cbs reporter named paula reed it's a really long interaction that we don't really have the time for now uh and she just really didn't let go and you know it's funny because all he can really do is he just insults cbs you know i mean that's like all he can really do about it uh so so we had that it was um 
it was a two hour and 24 minute briefing. The longest had been two hours and 15 minutes. So I don't know, these are turning into uh, to Bruce Springsteen set list. That was for you, Ryan, but just, they're just stretching out longer and longer. Uh, you know, we're going to get a four hour one at some point, I'm sure. Uh, and like the Oscars. Right. <laughs> they should, they'll have to start playing off everybody when, when they uh, each get a chance to speak. Um, and before we all weigh in about it, uh, I did want to show some of these images for our viewers on YouTube. Uh, Ryan, if you can show some of, if you, I don't know if you have been, but uh, the Chiron writer, that's the little words on the screen for CNN clearly uh, had just had enough. Uh, and it, it says things like uh, Trump melts down in angry uh, uh, response to, uh, you know, to reports that he ignored the virus warnings. And by the way, I just read that backwards. So I want everybody to uh, congratulate me. Uh, but, you know, so they were actually saying like very blatantly, uh, one of them said, uh, uh, Trump, yeah, uh, oh, angry Trump turns briefing into propaganda session. Uh, Trump uses task force briefing to try and rewrite history on coronavirus response. Uh, there's a part of me that thinks doing that feeds into the idea of fake news. That is very, that is, you're definitely putting opinion on the screen while he's talking, but then it's so blatant what he's doing. I'm, I'm a little torn. Uh, what do you think? One comedically Tamara, the joke writer who is, that's what I'm calling the Chiron uh, operator. Uh, what do you think about the content of what they were putting on the screen? And then we'll go from sort of the, the spirit of what they're saying. I, I think that there's a point where, you know, when Trump got elected, we said, we can't normalize things. We can't normalize his behavior. And I think as, I, I think uh, if, if he's, if, the insanity of the press briefing, if it was treated appropriately like any other press briefing that's an example of normalizing it so i think nor you know normally i would be against any any news organization putting opinion or or just going off the rails with um, things like this but it's like when when the actual government event is going to crazy town it's like we have to acknowledge that things are going to crazy town now like we have to like just not treat this just like it's business as usual. So I, I think it's fine to start doing things like that when, when things start yeah, to and, derail. And, and look, people were, I, I think rightly so critical for, of CNN for not airing the Trump part of these briefings. And I think all that does is it drives somebody to a, another news source to get it. But it's like, okay, well, we're going to air them. And this is almost exactly what Chelsea said last week. It's sort of like doing the pop-up video where yeah, you're not, you know, you're not point. quick enough to put the facts, but you're just saying like, this is what's happening right now. Uh, Brooke, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on sort of the, the way that CNN in particular handled this briefing and sort of the, the what these briefings are like in general. Mm -hmm. I think MSNBC did something similar. I think it was in the middle of Ari Melber's show. They actually cut out, cut back to Ari during his part and then went back to the briefing when, when Dr. Fauci was on, listen, and they have the ability to do that because they are technically also a private organization. But I do think that we walk a fine line, you know, in terms of, of uh, freedom of speech and, and keeping our country um, informed when we do quote unquote mute our president, because he's our president and, and uh, not allow what he's trying to say to be put out everywhere. Um, we have to be very careful as journalists. Of course, this hasn't happened 
we see that German, journalists are so biased and so opinionated. But um, when the president is addressing the nation, I do think it's unbecoming of journalists to cut away from him and then go back to Dr. Fauci or the other doctors. Um, I think personally, it's very immature and childish. Okay, maybe he is putting on his own propaganda session and being immature as well and the way in which he's addressing it, but he's still the president of our country and we owe him, you guys are going to go crazy when I tell you this, some respect um, well, when he's not I, always the most respectful. I do think actually airing it and then if you feel the need to put something on the screen, it's fine. If you um, feel differently, fine. Yeah. If you need to fact check him after the fact, fine. Yeah. Um, uh, Scott, before we run out of time, I want to get your thoughts on that, but then uh, also, you know, there were, there were these questions that uh, Paula Reed from CBS just would not ease up. And, you know, you could just see that uh, Trump, you know, he was, he was doing his best to not literally explode at her, but she was asking all the questions that I think a lot of people, by the way, I can't imagine she'll be back in that room anytime soon, but uh, you know, she was asking some really tough questions. So talk about the way that people are talking to him and the different media outlets portrayal of these briefings. I, I was going to be like, he started it, though. <laughs> he started it. Um, the, the fair point. <laughs> um, you know, I, I do agree with Brooke in the sense that it, even though it, it pains me to say that he is still president. Um, however, I don't think he deserves respect. I think respect is earned. And uh, he has not shown that he quite deserves the respect, the way he treats the media and the disdain of that. Um, I would say that it is true, though, that pulling away from his press uh, briefings and pulling away from when he's speaking has played into the fake news things. Cause I do have a lot of uh, conservative friends and Republican friends. that are not necessarily Trump supporters and everything. And they're on my Twitter and on Facebook. And, you know, they're just going right into your scene and, you know, just playing into how bad they are as, as being journalists by doing that and putting on the, the chirons, which I thought was, was rather funny. And in a way it was truthful. They weren't, completely lying, but they were putting too much of their opinion in the Chirons and everything else. Um, so I think it is important that they at least cover it and do what we've talked about and what Chelsea talked about, what I talked about was like, just put the fact bubbles up as they're going on um, it, because it does make it look worse. And now you do have people that can now pull away and listen somewhere else. I think it is inappropriate for him to use that platform um, for his own propaganda or his own reelection campaign. Um, so that is on him. He should not be doing that at all. Um, and that's where there is a fine line where he is also doing things that are inappropriate. Uh, I thought the Paula Reed interaction was great in the sense that I think journalists have been too, um, I don't want to say coward, that's not the right word, but they have not really pushed him on some of these things. And I love the fact that she did continue to push him. Because as you saw in the interaction, he was going back and saying, oh yeah, in January, you know, zero cases, zero and she's like, no, February, what were you doing in February to help prevent this when you knew it was happening? And I love the fact that she kept pushing back on him because he will not answer things. And even then he still didn't answer it very well. And he just goes on and says his 16 different words that he has in his vocabulary to try to, to push off of that. So I thought it was very important that she continued yeah. to push him on that. 
Yeah, I mean, look, he opens it up when he says that uh, we're doing a tremendous job and things like that. And uh, I, I appreciated, by the way, Ryan, for you putting up that uh, that lovely uh, headshot of uh, Scott for those watching <laughs> on YouTube. I, yes. I, 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 t- I had to keep talking when it was on, uh, but uh, the, Ryan always is, uh, makes has it, like, is Scott okay? Is Scott, <laughs> is this in memoriam? In, in memoriam, oh, no. S-Man 80. <laughs> Uh, we are indeed out of time, though. I think I guess we had time for three topics. That's how it goes. But uh, we appreciate everybody who uh, watched live. And if you're watching the archive version, please leave comments. Uh, we'll uh, always happily interact with you. We will be back next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, until then, Brooke, where can people find you? Oh, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Brooke Solis TV. And Tamara Brown. Find me on Instagram at Hey Tamara, H E Y T A M R A. And uh, Scott, where can people find you and your very, very handsome headshot? <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at SMAN80. That's S M A N 80. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ. I have a personal podcast called The Blackcast, B L A D T C A S T. And Thursday mornings at this same time, 11 a.m. over on the Popcorn Talk, talking Marvel movie news. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks so much to our panelists. Thanks to everyone. And as the great Jerry Springer says, take care of yourselves and each other. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV. Or- 